in uh, this book of Joshua, we're entering the last section of it. The first four chapters were on entering the land as they began to enter the land. And then as they entered the land, the second section was on taking the land. And then uh, we ended last week with uh, the section on possessing the land, settling down in the land, maintaining the land. And or now it's really maintaining, retaining the land, these last three chapters. Uh, made me think of a book that I listened to while I was doing my walking and running a couple of years ago. Oz Guinness wrote a book. Uh, it was a free people's suicide. It's about uh, liberty and freedom in America. And I thought about just talking about that tonight because this outline of uh, entering the land, taking the land, uh, possessing the land, and retaining the land, what he talked about in the founding of our country is uh, uh, winning liberty, uh, securing it, ordering liberty, how are we going to maintain, how are we going to order it, and that, you know, with the Constitution and the the different things that we did to set up the republic and then sustaining it. And he says that's the hardest part for free people. Any Republican society uh, has always eventually, and I don't mean Republican versus Democrat, I mean a Democratic Republic, uh, has always ended up not being able to sustain the freedom that... uh, uh, that they began with, he talked about a golden triangle of freedom that's required. Freedom requires virtue. You read about that where the founding father says this won't work without some sort of a moral fiber of the nation. Os Guinness says freedom requires virtue, virtue requires faith. You got to have some kind of a moral standard, a moral bedrock to live virtuously And then he said, faith then requires freedom. (laughs) Vibrant faith requires freedom, and then freedom requires virtue, and it's just kind of this triangle of of characteristics. I just thought about as, as Israel enters the promised land, they fight to win the promised land, they establish themselves in the promised land, and now these last three chapters are, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to keep it, how are we going to uh, make us uh, secure as our homeland? And well, we'll see that if you've read ahead in the story, you know it was a struggle, a real struggle. So uh, Israel has to respond. Israel has been faithful to God. God has been faithful to Israel in giving them the victory. He has used Israel, but all the glory goes to God. He's given them the victory over the Canaanites. And now Israel, uh, the emphasis now in these last three chapters is Israel responding in faith towards this God, in unwavering faithfulness. In chapter 22, verse 1, uh, each of these three chapters have Joshua summoning a large group of people. 
Uh, remember, Joshua's old. He's sort of a, uh, emeritus general of the army or whatever it was that he was. Uh, verse 1 in chapter 22, at that time Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Why those three? Who are those three? Tribe, two and a half tribes? Yeah, on the other side of the Jordan. So this is Chapter 22 is about those tribes uh, who came across the Jordan, who have their land across the Jordan, but they came across, they, they were given that land across the Jordan under the stipulation that they help the, the other uh, nine and a half tribes or the ten, nine tribes to secure the victories. And now the victories are secure. Chapter 22 is about Joshua letting them go back to their homeland. And so he gathers them together to begin with. Then chapter 23, <coughs> verse 1, a long time afterward when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies and Joshua was old and well advanced in his years, Joshua summoned all of Israel, its elders and its head, its judges, officers, and said, I'm now old and well advanced in years. So uh, there he gathers all of Israel. In chapter 24, verse 1, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders and the heads and had another uh, issue, uh, time together with them as he ends, as the story of Joshua ends in chapter uh, 24. So each chapter begins with Joshua calling this group together. Uh, we closed last week with three verses on, pray, on, on the faithfulness of God for, in 43, 44, and 45 that, uh, that mentions that God swore an oath and that oath that he swore, uh, he was faithful to uh, ensure that they, it was fulfilled. And now Israel has to respond in faithfulness and that's sort of what these last three chapters uh, are about. Uh, Joshua's going to lay down a proper course for them to follow. And think about who's, who is going to read. We're at the end of Joshua, right? And so who's going to read the book of Joshua? Who's going to read these, this book that has been written of the conquest? Who's going to be reading it? Okay, his descendants, the next generation. Actually, the judges are going to have this, right? The time of the judges. Now, we have it, and we're reading it, so all of, uh, uh, from the time it's written all the way to the time the Lord Jesus returns, we'll be reading it for uh, our prophet. Uh, but it, the first readers will be those of the judges, uh, and that's the intended audience. And uh, that generation, this second generation, I guess, of the Israelites in Canaan, the third generation of Israelites who've been freed from Egypt, they go 40 years in the wilderness, there's a generation, then Joshua's generation. And so it's going to the third generation. 
So it's going to be how are we going to maintain this right relationship with God where his presence is with us uh, so that we might uh, prosper as a people. So chapter 22, I have it broken in three parts, well, four parts, really. Uh, The eastern tribes are sent home. Uh, The two and a half tribes are the first nine verses. Then uh, the western and the eastern tribes both present their faithfulness, give evidences of their faithfulness. They profess their faithfulness to God. Uh, uh, from 9 to 20 is the West. Those who are in Canaan uh, profess their faithfulness, then the East does, and there's some very strong misunderstandings in these two professions. And then a resolution in the last five verses of the chapter. So let's begin verse 1. Uh, at that time, Joshua summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you and have obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days down to this day, but have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. So it's, it's God's command, Moses' command, Joshua's command that these two and a half tribes have been faithful to follow. Uh, there, verse 3, careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God that was given through Moses that says, you can have this land on the other side of the river, but you have to first help your brothers to secure the land on the other side of the Jordan. So you've done all of that. Verse 4. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he promised them. Therefore, turn, turn and go to your tents in the land where your possession lies. That's a line, isn't it, out of a song? Bound for the promised land where my possession lies. Yeah, well, okay. They get to go back to where their, their, uh, possessions are, their wives, their children, their cattle, uh, their livestock, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. So Joshua commends their faithfulness to begin with. You've kept all of what was asked and commanded of you. I just stopped here and said, this is a lesson for all of us. It's possible not to sin and it's possible to be faithful. First John 2, 1, you know, these things have I written that you may not sin, John said. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. We understand as Christians the strength of sin, the indwelling uh, sin, and yet sometimes we get weary and well-doing, but we keep our perspective that sin has no claim upon us. That's the call of the Christian life. Uh, uh, Sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under the law but under grace. Uh, And Hebrews chapter 12, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, uh, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race set before us, 
The writer of Hebrews says, know yourself. Lay aside your besetting sin. Make sure that you understand what it is that you're susceptible to yield to. Lay it aside and run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, how do we have the victory? We look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Think about him. As he calls you to follow him. Consider him who endured for sinners such hostility so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. But chapter, uh, verse 4 of in, uh, Joshua, the Lord's been faithful to his promise. He's given Israel rest in Canaan. And then he says, go home where your possessions are. So he commends them before he does anything else, before he commands them as he sends them out. Uh, there's, that's a biblical pattern. I think about the Lord Jesus in Revelation 2 and 3. As he's bringing a charge against all but one of the churches, maybe two, but the seven churches, he brings a commendation to every one of them. And then he talks to them about what it is that he has, the bone he has to pick with each of the different churches. Well, Joshua doesn't really have a bone to pick, but he has some instructions for them. But he uh, wisely commends them first. Any, anything? Matthew Henry, at this point, he, he, though it was the favor of God and his power that Israel got possession of this land, and he must have all the glory, yet Joshua thought, there was a thankful acknowledgement due to the brethren who assisted them and whose sword and bow were employed for them. God must be chiefly eyed in our praises, yet instruments must not be altogether overlooked. And he says, as long as we can sincerely, uh, according to the truth, commend, we should. You know, so often we're such good spotters of bad, especially in other people. You know, we can see the faults and foibles of others. Um, we know that uh, first we need to look at ourselves, and we do have the responsibility to encourage and help one another, but a commendation before the... Uh, exposing would be very helpful go a long way that's what Matthew Henry says and that's what Joshua did and that's what Paul did as he writes his books uh, very often so Joshua commands verse 5 only be careful here's his command to them only be careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of, our Lord, of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So there he commands, continue what you're doing. Continue your faithfulness. Walk with God the ways that Moses uh, 
taught us in the law. Verse 6, so Joshua blessed them, and he sent them away, and they went to their tents. Uh, now the one half tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given pos a possession in Bashan, but the other half, Joshua had given a possession beyond, beside the brothers in the land west of the Jordan. And when Joshua sent them away to their homes and blessed them, he said to them, go back to your tents with much wealth and with very much livestock, with silver, gold, bronze, iron, and with much clothing, divide the spoil of your enemies with your brothers. Uh, so uh, he sends them on their way. And I broke, ESV has nine in that top paragraph. I, I thought it just looks better to me to go with the next paragraph. But so the, uh, the uh, uh, eastern tribes are sent home with blessing, uh, with encouragement, but with this one command to follow the Lord. So uh, the next nine through 20, uh, the western side, those tribes on the west side are going, we're going to see their careful watchfulness to be faithful to God. Verse 9, so the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned home, parting from the people of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the land of Gilead, their own land, of which they possessed they had possessed themselves by command of the Lord uh, through Moses. Uh, verse 10. And when they came to the region of the Jordan, that is, in the land of Canaan, the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by the Jordan, an altar of imposing size. They hadn't crossed the river yet, but they build a huge altar there. Verse 11, And the people of Israel heard it said, Behold, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built the altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region about the Jordan on the side that belongs to the people of Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, the whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them. Um, I think I put it on my first page. What's the big deal about an altar? We're going to go to war now with our brothers and our, our kinsmen anyway. And so they make this preparation. They... They, they call the army together. They assemble the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them. This is the point. Have they assembled? There's an altar out there on the edge of our land. Um, they gather the army, and this is where most people go into action. They're at Shiloh. They hear that there's a, something happened out there, and so they make ready for war, and that's usually when people go into action. 
But Joshua has instilled in his people a wiser spirit. Verse 13. Then the people of Israel sent to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, and with him ten chiefs, one from each of the tribal families of Israel, every one of them the head of a family among the clans of Israel. And they came to the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead, and they said to them. So instead of, now they're prepared to go to war, but they didn't go into action yet. They sent a delegation. They sent an investigating committee to see what's really going on here. But they're very, very concerned about the people being uh, faithful to God. Verse 16, well, verse, uh, yeah, verse 16, thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, this is what they say to them, what is this breach of faith that you have committed against the God of Israel in turning away from following the Lord by building yourselves an altar this day in rebellion against the Lord? What are you doing? You've been faithful. Why are you turning away from the Lord at this point? So quickly. You just got to the river. And you've turned away from them. So, um, here's just a couple of thoughts and we'll get to more. Uh, they assumed that for sure that there's, this is a breach of faith that they were turning away from the Lord on this day. So what's the big deal about the altar? We could go to Deuteronomy 12. You can, I've got just a few verses out of Deuteronomy 12 if you want to just listen to me read them or you can turn to Deuteronomy 12. Verse 13 <coughs> says this. This is remember what Deuteronomy is. Moses' series of sermons preparing them to go into the promised land before he dies. Take care that you do not offer your burnt offerings at any place that you see, but the place, the place that the Lord will choose in one of your tribes, there you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I am commanding you. There's one point. The play you've gonna you're gonna worship God when, while you're in Canaan in one place in one place only, and it's the in the place in uh, one of the tribes where the place is set up. The place is opposed. Uh, chapter, this is chapter twelve, thirteen, and fourteen of Deuteronomy, verse two and three. You shall surely destroy. All the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods on the high mountains and the hills and under every tree, you shall tear down all their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and burn their asherim, their places of worship, their, where they worship their fertility goddess. You shall chop down the card images and the gods and destroy their name out of that place. So it's a big deal. Right, an altar is a big deal because they're commanded not to have any altars to worship God. So, 
uh, one, one place, one sanctuary is God's way of working at preventing idolatry. It's preventative theology. One place. Here's where you... And, and so the worship can be overseen by the priest and the leadership. So it's to preserve the purity of worship. Uh, the, the Jews, you, you worship... Well, we've seen this, right? You worship whenever, however, wherever you want to worship... And that can lead to Canaanite belief, Canaanite practices, Canaanite gods. And so could this be in the, in, the, in the minds of the Western group who has come, could this altar be the first step towards a slide into apostasy, into idolatry? And so that's where this meeting now is taking place there in verse 16, and that's sort of the tenor of what the meeting is about. The Western tribes are concerned to preserve the truth of God, the unity of the spiritual health and the commitment, uh, and any unfaithfulness. They know that any unfaithfulness uh, in the Eastern tribes will affect them. Uh, they know that you don't sin in a vacuum, and they're a united people. Verse 17, have we not had enough of the sin at Peor from which even yet we have not cleansed ourselves and for which there came a plague upon the congregation of the Lord that you too must turn away this day from following the Lord? We go to Numbers 25. What happened at Peor is Moses is still alive and leading them. They get involved in Moabite worship. They get involved in idolatry. And this actually, this Phineas, who is the, the uh, head emissary of the, of the group who has come to these on the east, he's the one who dealt with the sin at Peor. Uh, there were some openly flagrant, uh, tolerated immorality among the people of God and Phineas himself. God sent the plague, plagued the people who were the wilderness wanderers or as they're coming up on the east side. And Phinehas caught them and put a spear through a man and a woman that turned God's plague away from the people. Now Phinehas is thinking he may be having to deal with some of the same thing. And so he's come to them uh, here in any unfaithfulness uh, have we not had, verse 17, we're not even rid of the consequences of that sin, verse 18 in the middle, and if you too rebel against the Lord today, then tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. Verse 19, but now if the land of your possession is unclean, pass over into the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stands, and take for yourselves a possession among us. Only do not rebel against the Lord or make us as rebels by building yourselves an altar other than the altar of the Lord our God. So, uh, the sin of Peor, again, uh, it was idolatry, the Moabite idolatry. 
God brought a plague. They're still suffering from that plague. If you do this today, tomorrow, the sin, the plague will come upon the whole nation. Uh, Joshua or Phinehas is saying, uh, if you and the East rebel today, tomorrow, God will be angry with all of us. Uh, then down in verse 20, did not Achan, the son of Zerah, break faith in the matter of the devoted things? And wrath fell upon the congregation of Israel. Remember Achan, who stole some of the booty from Jericho, right? Some of the spoils and hid it when they, none of them were supposed to do it. What was the result of that? You remember? Death. His death, his family's death, and 30 the animals, and then 30 uh, in the battle. They, well, they lost the first battle at Ai, 36, I think, in the battle at Ai. So Achan didn't sin by himself. You guys going to do this with this altar and, and, and uh, fall into idolatry? It's not going to happen. The plague is not just going to come on you. It's going to come on us too. And then he, verse 19, what he says is, look, if it's too hard for you over here to fight this idolatry, come back over here. We'll take care of you. We'll keep you from being idolatrous. There he says, verse 19 at the end, do not rebel or make us rebels by building yourselves an altar other than the altar uh, of the Lord. If it's uh, at the beginning of verse 19, if the land of your possession is unclean, pass over. So there's a situation. They're meeting. Uh, and uh, they're hashing out what the rest, the Western tribes knew that permitted sin brings judgment. And so Calvin says this is an illustration of uh, a display of piety, of holiness, of uh, a zeal to maintain the integrity of their faith. Uh, if we see pure worship of God corrupted, we must be strenuous to the utmost of our ability in vindicating it. So, uh, I, for us, for the church, today's church, whether it be our church or any other, we need to have a passion for true worship, for the holiness of true worship. Be concerned when people wander. Uh, accountability needs to be on the le leaders and the people. Uh, every believer ought to be pursuing holiness as Christ under shepherds. We ought to guard and protect and discipline the flock. Uh, and that's what Phinehas and his group that's what the Western side is trying to do. They're trying to preserve the truth. All right, let's look at the Eastern side. Well, yeah. A couple quick things. In Deuteronomy 12, they're in 14. Do, we understand, do I understand that correctly in that there would be one altar within all of Israel not one within each tribal area. Yes, one in Israel. One. At, at so wherever the tabernacle is. Wherever the tabernacle. So, so the folks from Gilead or Gad or East Tribe of Manassas or wherever they're from, they have a, a distance to travel. Yes. Do I understand that correctly? Yes. Okay. The 
Yeah. Yeah. And then the other piece of that, in Joshua 22, there in verse 11, do, there, there seems to be a division there uh, by way of, uh, where did 11 go? It's still under 10. It's still under 10. <laughs> uh, on the side of the people of Israel. So uh, do they not consider the East Tribe of Manasseh and Gad as part of Israel? Is that because they're on the east side, or is, is there a separation that I'm... Well, they, when they're coming up, with Moses leading them up, they got a lot of cattle, they got a lot of livestock, and there's a lot of good grazing land in Bashan in particular, and they asked Moses for a concession to have that land. But yes. I, I agree. That I, that I get that one. It wasn't part of Canaan. I'm sorry? The west side wasn't part of the land of Canaan. Hmm. The east side. East side. Yeah. The east side was, so are they still considered all of Israel? Yes. There seems to be a separation there. Your answer's coming. Okay. Yes. Right. Yes, they will. They are part of Israel. Okay. Yes. Okay, 21. Uh, so now the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh said in answer to the heads of the families of Israel. So here's our answer. The mighty one, God the Lord, the mighty one, the God the Lord, he knows. And let Israel itself know if it was in rebellion or in breach of faith against the Lord, do not spare us today for building an altar to turn away from following the Lord. Or if we did so to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings or peace offerings on it, may the Lord himself take vengeance. They make a profession of faith right up front. They begin with, God is our God. If we're lying to you, if we're about to offer sacrifices on this altar, the Lord take his vengeance on us. So they make a solid stand for God. Then verse 24. No. And this has something to do, Charlie, with what you were saying. No, but we did it from fear that in time to come, your children might say to our children, what have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord has made a Jordan, made the Jordan a boundary between us and you, you people of Reuben and people of Gad, you have no portion in the land, so your children might make our children cease to worship the Lord. They built this altar, they're saying here, because in the future, we're on the wrong side of the river. The future generations are going to revise history and say, we don't belong to God. So they built this altar. Keep your questions any time. Therefore, we said, verse 26, let us now build an altar, not for burnt offering, not for, nor for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you, between our generations after us, that we do perform the service of the Lord in the presence with our burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings, so your children will not say to our children in time to come, you have no portion in the Lord. 
and we thought if this should be said to us or to our descendants in time to come, we should say, behold, the copy of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, not for burnt offerings, nor for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn away this day from following the Lord by building an altar for burnt offering, grain offering, or sacrifice, other than the altar of the Lord our God that stands before this tabernacle. So, <coughs> uh, the eastern tribe, they profess their faith. Look, may you, you can discipline us if we've broken faith. The Lord will discipline us if we have, but our real fear, real fear is being excluded from the people of God, from the western side. Uh, afraid in the future, living on the other side, and another generation may consider them no part in the Lord. And sort of this view of the Jordan River as the Berlin Wall that just really makes... They separate. And notice, they, they know our tendency to revise history as we go. Look what they say here in ver verse 24. No, but, and, and this is their answer to uh, Phinehas. No, but we did it from fear and time, in time, that in time to come your children might say to our children, what have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you. No, the Lord didn't do that. They asked to stay on that side. And Moses agreed with the Lord's approval. The Lord didn't put them over there. The Lord allowed them at their request to be over there. Um, but his, they know history is going to say later on, that God put this division, and you don't belong over here. And so they built this huge altar to remind everybody that they do belong. Um, I was reading uh, someone, it says, living in a bridge culture is hard to appreciate the barrier of the Jordan River, of the Jordan Valley. I mean, you know, we just, what, we just get on the bridge and go to Baytown. We get on the bridge and go to North Houston. That's not how it was there. Uh, no other part of the earth uncovered by water sinks to 300 feet below sea level. The Jordan's 160 miles long. Two to five, the valley itself, 2 to 15 miles wide. That's just the valley. Remember, the, they come off the hill, go down the valley, cross the river, come up. No bridge built. Um, falls in this 160 miles, falls from sea level to as deep as 1,300 feet below, and then the bottom of the Dead Sea is 13 more hundred feet below. It's an incredible, oh, one guy, uh, what is he, a colossal ditch. I mean, you know, when I was on the boat sailing out of Guam, we went through the deepest part of the ocean every time we went out to sea, uh, the Marianas Trench. This is above ground. This is not in, under the ocean. The Mariana Street is like six miles deep or something. I don't know. But, but this, is, this is a big deal. And so it could easily have been portrayed as this God put a barrier between you and his people. 
Uh, <coughs> Dale Ralph Davis says that this time it might have been wiser for them to think of uh, this barrier in, Deut- in Numbers 32 rather than in Joshua 22. You know, they might should have thought about this ahead of time. You know, uh, but it's good to be concerned uh, for the next generations, and they're both faithful. There was a complete misunderstanding of the situation. Uh, any, anybody, any comments, anything? We should take all necessary measures humanly possible to ensure that we teach our children, our grandchildren, and we learn that from Israel. Here's George Bush, not 41 and not 43. This is a commentator, George Bush. How much more anxious are thousands to entail upon their descendants ample worldly possessions, even at the hazard of all their better interests, than to perpetuate among them those invaluable means of grace which take hold on eternal life. God forbid that we should ever be willing that our children should dwell in splendid mansions or revel in accumulated riches on which Ichabod is written. Uh, They were concerned about passing the faith on. Both sides. Uh, If the Easterners were ever excluded by the West, they could point to the altar, a strange altar because it's an altar where there were no sacrifices going to be offered. Um, I think there's a lesson here. This is a lesson in conflict resolution. Um, And I just put a couple of notes there, and there's a lot more we could put. Don't assume too much. You know, at the drop of a hat, we're quick because we heard an excerpt from someone on the Internet Or in a book, we take an excerpt and we write people off completely and throw them out completely because we assume too much. We heard. Hey, I heard. Dennis said, well, it must be true if Dennis said it, right? Don't assume too much. They they assumed, they almost assumed too much. They made assumptions but they didn't go into action until they did their homework. I was watching something today. Some men were called woke who were not woke, but they were called woke. And because they were called woke, they're determined to be woke, and it's all over that they're woke. Because people assume if something they hear or you get a little tidbit, well, that's the whole story. Uh, it happens all the time when we preach, right, Corey? We're preaching, and I say something, and it catches you. Wait a minute. Whether you think it's right or whether you think it's wrong, you're liable to not hear the rest of the sermon. And it's just said in the context of an hour-long sermon. But you may just heard one part, and it may be something you didn't agree with. I don't know if you remember Sunday. I don't know, it was at the end, so you couldn't get sidetracked for very long. I said, you have to decide for Jesus. Now, I don't know about some of you, but many are going to say, no, I can't decide for Jesus. 
I'm dead in sin. You have to decide for Jesus. I said there's other uh, facets to that, but you must decide to follow Jesus. But if that's all you heard of my 25 years of ser- 23 years of sermons here, you might think that I was just Armenian as I could be. Make sure you're in context. Don't assume too much. Get as much of the full information as you can get before you act, do your homework, and then fight for the truth, valiantly for the truth. Um, let's just close real quick. We've got two minutes. Uh, last few verses. Then Phinehas, verse 30, I'm sorry, not the last two. Then Phinehas, the priest, and the chiefs of the congregation, the heads of the families of Israel who were with him, heard the words that the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the people of Manasseh spoke. It was good in their eyes. Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, said to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the people of Manasseh, Today we know that the Lord is in our midst because you have not committed this breach of faith against the Lord. Now you have delivered the people of Israel from the hand of the Lord. We know the Lord is here. He's delivered us from these people, and now we know from your profession of faith that you've not departed, and he's still with us. Verse 32, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest and the chiefs, returned from the people of Reuben and the people of Gad in the land of Gilead to the land of Canaan to the people of Israel and brought back word to them. And the report was good in the eyes of the people of Israel. And the people of Israel blessed God and spoke no more of making war against them. I guess they were happy not to have to go to war, but they were happy. They blessed God and spoke no more of making war against them to destroy the land where the people of Reuben and the people of Gad were settled. The people of Reuben and the people of Gad called their altar witness, for they said it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. For us, Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, That's just a beautiful picture of conflict resolution. How to deal with conflict uh, and fight for the truth. All right? Any questions, any comments? All right. Yeah, Jeroboam forgot it, didn't he? Yeah. Father, we thank you for how it is that this ancient uh, happening, this altar on the west of the Jordan, so many years ago, teaches us so much. Lord, we thank you for this episode. May we learn not to assume, not to presume, and to hold fast to the truth. In Jesus' name, amen.